episode, the first episode ever of the Bardic Circle. My name is Kyler Mead. I am joined by none other than Trey Lanthier and Alex Gallant, two of my absolute best friends in the entire world. Alex, Trey, I cannot tell you how happy I am to be with you at this moment. Welcome back to the circle, such as it is, boys. It's good to be back. It's been a while, but uh, we're back in business, baby. Yeah. I mean, what? Five, six years? They they got nothing on what's about to happen over the next several years to come in the Bardic Circle. Good to be here. Exactly right. Exactly right. So as a little bit of an explanation for what's going on here, uh, Trey and Alex and I went to college together at Arizona State, and we used to record a podcast uh, called The Ninth Circle. Uh, It was a play on... Uh, it was a play on where the devil lives in, uh, uh, who's it? Dante's Inferno. And, uh, we were sun devils at the time and we talked about sports, but we're not talking about sports anymore. Are we guys? We're we're talking about something almost as far removed from sports as, as we could possibly conceive, but we just wanted to bring it back together. Let the circle be united. Once again, let the circle be complete. What are we talking about guys? What's the Bardic circle all about? Who wants to introduce the podcast? So, I mean, we're going into literature of the finest kind, Shakespeare himself. And I think the reason that we had talked about doing it this way and, and, and diving into Shakespeare specifically is because we all have varying degrees of insight already into that. Uh, and also, I mean, the guy's a genius. He's celebrated, his works are celebrated, and it's kind of a cool topic to discuss. And a lot of people can do the analysis and the breakdowns of the, you know, the each each scene specifically. We're going to bring more of a fun vibe uh, to Shakespeare. We want to have some enjoyment while we do it and, and read through it and, and really... Uh, you know, apply that that talk show vibe to Shakespeare. Yeah, and you know, again, just to Trey mentioned, we each come into this from a different angle. I'll talk about myself, and then Alex, you can talk about where you came from, and Trey, you can do the same. But you know, I came from, I come to Shakespeare. I've I've done some Shakespeare plays. I once did a play called I, I used to do. I used to act. I used to do that sort of thing. I was never a professional. I was never great, but I did it for high school. You know, stuff like that, and. Um, I did a show in high school called The Complete Works of William Shakespeare Abridged, which is this very famous uh, comedy, three-person comedy, uh, where these characters who you are, you pretend to be yourself, you named them after yourself, they go through and they try to perform all of Shakespeare's plays in in one evening. And it's it's a farce and it's a joke and it's a lot of fun, but they take the bard very seriously at times and at other times they, they give him, you know, kind of the goof. But, you know, I went to high school and I took a Shakespeare class in college and, you know, basic stuff like that. I've read a few of the plays, uh, but certainly haven't gotten deep into it. I've seen some of the movies, but haven't gotten far. Um, So that's my background. I've never been like super analytical on Shakespeare specifically, but I enjoy literary analysis. Did a little bit of that in college, but I'm not an expert. Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of where you come from uh, from a Shakespeare position, because you come from from a, 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 a professional, a professional oh, spot. I don't know if I'd go that far, but yeah, I mean, uh, since our since our college days in the Ninth Circle, uh, kind of made a bit of a career transition or change. Never really got into kind of the sports world, but instead moved into the teaching world, uh, and have been doing seventh and eighth grade English for the last wow four years now, going by fast. Um, but Shakespeare for me right now is really delivering the content to those seventh and eighth grade students, but kind of going back to my own experiences, um, I, I would say Shakespeare is something that, that, that certainly is an intimidating, not just topic, but, um, kind of era of both history and literature overall. Um, I always remember, um, in high school, um, even in early college classes as well, cause I did a, not a minor, but it was like a emphasis area um, in English. Um, Shakespeare was something where it wasn't exactly um, on the top of my list of interests because of the difficulty of just really understanding what the heck was going on. Um, but as I've gotten into the into the teaching world, and I know seventh and eighth grade English, we don't dive completely into Shakespeare, although we do read uh, one of his plays um, during the year. Uh, we just read Romeo and Juliet this past year. Um, but my goal for the students, and and really a goal for myself, as I'm as I'm doing my best to teach the content and have those important discussions with the students, is really is really find what makes Shakespeare not just such a niche t- 
topic from the sense that there's really no one else to compare him to, but also the sense of what makes him so world-renowned um, even almost four, 500 years later. Um, and it's something where it's not going to happen overnight. Um, Shakespeare is certainly, um, I, I don't want to say difficult, but um, a unique topic and a unique uh, person to study both literature-wise and from his own life. Um, and really overall, that's kind of the goal I try to try to convey um, to the students. And what I found over the past four years is that uh, I've grown to appreciate his works much more so than when I was a student myself in the sense that not just his writing style is so unique, he came up with all these words, but the fact that his plays can often find that relatability aspect to our current 21st century times. Yeah, and I think that's what makes Shakespeare so special. And Trey alluded to this, and, and obviously you just spoke to it, Alex, about the idea that Shakespeare is relevant today. You know, we're reading, we're and we're just, you know, spoiler alert, we're reading Julius Caesar. I probably should have said that off the top, but we're reading Julius Caesar for these first five or six episodes. Wait, we are? And oh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hope you, I hope that you can, uh, you can catch up. It's, All right, the, no, the first good. act is quick. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so we're reading Julius Caesar, and in act one, scene one, you're finding turns of phrase that Shakespeare invented and have become commonplace. And, and that's just wild. And so Trey, now your, your approach to this is, is unique as well. What, how do you come to the bard? How do you come to the circle here? So I, I represent uh, the, the, I, I don't want to say general population because it might not be the general population that doesn't know anything about Shakespeare, but that's basically me. Uh, when it comes to high school, I think we read Romeo and Juliet. I don't remember anything from it. Literally, I couldn't tell you one part of that story, even the movies. I don't know what it is. It's not that I've had anything against Shakespeare, but like, I just have never really connected with, I saw Shakespeare in love. I guess that's, that's, but that's really the extent of my exposure uh, to these, to these, yeah, it is a great movie. Um, But, but to a lot of these stories, there's really uh, very little exposure I have. So the viewpoint I'm going to be representing in a lot of these uh, talks, I'm guessing is, is, you know, the dumb questions, uh, the, you know, the things that, don't really make sense right off the bat that maybe a bit more Shakespeare exposure would uh, give some insight to that you guys can help address for me. Uh, And also just looking at it from a very modern take uh, on how these plays can be applied today, to your point. Yeah. And I think that's, what's fun about what we hope to do. Our hope is truly that this can be a podcast that can be used by all kinds of people, people who are studying the plays side by side with us, people who are, uh, fans of Shakespeare and and know him inside and out and just want to hear a new take. Um, you know, we're not going to be giving you the absolute most in-depth sort of a- an analytical look. We're going to be giving you kind of just guys that enjoy this and are having fun with this and learning about it. Yeah, we'll give you some analysis. There's character analysis. There's scene setting. There's, you know, foreshadowing and all this sort of stuff. But we're going to do try to do it from kind of a fun perspective um, and we hope an educational perspective while also accessible. Is that, does that sound? Is, yeah. I mean, I think about it. It's like a talk radio show. Like imagine Shakespeare just debuted this play and the day after we're talking about it act by act. I mean, that's the way that I view us, you know, kind of proceeding and in, in talking about it is, it's really in a, a pop culture friendly and uh, presently friendly view that people can connect to regardless of what their interest in the subject matter is. Yeah. And the cool thing is, and sorry, Alex, I mean to cut you off, but the cool thing is that um, there is, there's room to address Shakespeare from a modern perspective, as you said, Alex, and as, and as you've mentioned, Trey as well, that is still fresh. You know, Trey has never read these plays. Some, many of these plays, Alex and I will never have read. Um, And, uh, you know, we've both, we know Julius Caesar, um, but, uh, we don't know, I don't know, Coriolanus, for example, or Timon of Athens. And, and we'll, we're going to try to get into all of these. We're going to go act by act for the most part, one episode per act. And that's going to vary. Sometimes it's going to be kind of a, a quick act and we'll squeeze it in with another one. But, um, for the most part, we'll probably go act by act and, and we're going to have some fun with it. We're going to give awards. We're going to, you know, we come from sports talk radio. That's our background. And so we're addressing this kind of in that way. So, Alex, did you have something you wanted to add there? No, I think you, both of you hit the nail on the head there. Um, I think the the biggest thing is that there's so much known about Shakespeare, but at the same time, there's so much unknown um, that it's fun that in the year 2020, right, 
uh, several hundred years after all of these plays were published, that we, we can still go down this journey, not just here together as a show, but also hopefully you, the audience, um, being able to, to find out new concepts, new ideas that we can take and apply to our own lives, and hopefully also, obviously, make it entertaining for those that, that, that may be, I don't want to say intimidated, but maybe a little hesitant to embrace the, the Shakespeare text as a whole, just because of the fact that the language is so different. But hopefully what you'll find is that we use a lot of these words and phrases or playoffs of those words and phrases a lot in even our lives here today. And something that we decided we wanted to do and we were kind of brainstorming what would be a good, fun, and enjoyable subject for a new podcast uh, is we wanted this to be timeless. Uh, We want you to be able to listen to this five, 10 years from now and still be able to enjoy it. And, you know, maybe we go through all 30 some odd plays and we're like, you know what, let's go back and, and, and do Julius Caesar again. And, And who knows what we do when that day comes. But for the moment, we hope that these are fairly timeless and we might drop in a, you know, right now we're recording this, for example, in the middle of 2020, where, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic is upon us and we're all doing this from our own homes and it's a weird time. And and maybe we'll drop in a reference to that, but things are going to change as this podcast goes on. And we hope that the podcasts remain accessible and interesting. And uh, we really hope that uh, it's something that you can enjoy. So let's, uh, let's uh, get into it. Let's, let's go. We're going to start with our first segment, which we call by the book. And uh, guys, I'm going to throw an audible here. I'm going to try some music uh, behind this as I tell you what happened in act one, scene by scene, just quickly. Again, we're not getting play by play in this. There's much better podcasts for that. But just quickly, uh, what's happening and what you have to look forward to as we talk about Julius Caesar, act one. Here we go. So here we go in scene one. And you got to remember the fun thing about uh Shakespeare the fun thing about Shakespeare is that he's very loose and liberal with scene setting so the first scene in act one act one scene one is Rome a street right and uh we're gonna come back to Rome a street in act one scene three in fact I think we're gonna spend a lot of time in Rome a street um but that's where the scene that's where the, the this this whole thing begins the whole show the whole play begins Julius Caesar and we've got Flavius, we've got Merlus, and we've got some commoners, a carpenter and a cobbler. Um, and these guys are kind of just, they're, they're on their way to a celebration. Flavius and Merlus, they're tribunes. They're like, what are you guys doing? And cobbler and carpenter are like, hey, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're going to, uh, we're going to, oh, hey, my music died. Sorry, we're figuring this all out. My, we're going to uh, a thing for Caesar. Aren't you excited? Aren't you guys going? And there's some jokes and some all references, and that's kind of that for scene one. It's really a, a stage setter. Acts one, scene two is where we meet the real, uh, the real game. Julius Caesar, Mark Antony, Calpurnia, Portia, Decius, Cicero, and then of course we've got Brutus and Cassius, which is where we spend most of our time. Brutus and Cassius are kind of the guys. They're uh, there's some stuff going on. Um, Cassius is working on Brutus. Maybe getting a little ahead of himself. Uh, something's going on. Caesar comes back into the scene in Rome, a public place. And uh, there's a soothsayer. We've got soothsayer alert. The big Shakespeare throne. He loves the soothsayer. Beware the Ides of March. Cassius and Brutus are kind of doing their thing. And it's, it's weird times. It's weird stuff. So uh, into scene three... Cassius is working on another senator. Cassius and Brutus are senators in the Roman Senate. And they're working on Casca. So Brutus, he's got one take on what he's trying to get Brutus over to his side for. Casca, he's got another take. And the take is, hey, let's just do this thing. And Casca says, okay, sounds good. So that's pretty much where we're at. What what did I miss, guys? Oh, no, that sounds like a hot take. A couple of hot takes from... From those couple of characters there, but hot takes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, Shakespeare invented the hot take. You think that's just coming around now? Look at these characters with their grand proclamations just right off the bat, right? I mean, I know we have all those generalities with settings, but at the same time, not a lot of generalities as far as intent from a couple of these characters, right? Some are a little bit more reserved in trying to um, display or enunciate. 
um, what they're trying to accomplish. Um, but at the same time, you've got a lot of you got a lot of cooks in the kitchen trying to to get to the top of the top of the heap in, here in Rome. Yeah, there's I mean, a lot like, going on. There's, no there's definitely a, a lot of characters, but I think it boils down to to you know to a couple of people talking to one another and and, and kind of discussing, which is is nice because it at first you hear all those names and you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> like well, what's going on here, and, and and it starts to become a much more narrow focus. Yeah, and what's happening again? And I'm zooming through this, but what's happening is Cassius has a problem with Caesar, and uh, he kind of wants to get some allies on his side. Uh, for the dudes that have a problem with Caesar Brigade, if you will. Um, and so he's talking to Brutus, and Brutus is this honorable man, and he's uh, kind of just just laying the love on Brutus, right? And he wants to get Brutus over to his side for this this thing that he's got going on. He's, you know, he's, he's uh, Brutus is, uh, he's, He's an honorable He's got man. problems yeah, he too, right? He's got no, issues as well, right? What's that? <laughs> no, I'm just filling in the the quote in a cheesy way. We hear that a lot. Brutus yeah. is an honorable man. Brutus is an honorable man. That's true. Um, I was so just re-emphasizing just kind of a, it like Shakespeare does, of course. Yes, it's 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 almost overemphasized, perhaps by on, on purpose, I think. Um, but Cassius is just, he's just laying it on thick with Brutus. And it's clear that... You know, and we're going to talk about some character analysis here in a second, but it's clear that, you know, Cassius is 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 crafty, man. Like he's he's I love this line here. He's, um, you know, Brutus. Oh, what means this shouting? I do fear the people chose Caesar for their king. And Cassius was like, I do you fear it? Then must I think you would not have it so. And he's not even coming right out with what he's got to say. He's got he's he's feeling Brutus out in this very very kind of not so much devious as like just careful and and crafty diplomatic. and calculated way yeah diplomatic yeah you can see how he got to be a, a senator maybe he's a politician oh, yes yeah but then he plays with casca and he's doing the same thing he's trying to get casca over to his side and he's like casca what's up man uh by the way uh i don't know if you know this you're a big strong guy caesar not as strong uh, not not the strongest guy. I don't know if that's occurred to you. And Casca's like, yeah, that is problematic. I don't like that either. <laughs> so, I don't know. Let's talk about some highlights here. And this is a segment that we're, we like to do uh, in terms of kind of what stands out, whether it's a favorite line, a favorite moment, a favorite piece of dialogue, something goofy, character development. What do you like? So, so Trey, let's start with you. In Act 1, we've got these three scenes not a ton is happening. It's basically just some guys talking to guys. And then there's I the Ides of March drop, obviously. Um, what stands out to you in terms of, is there a favorite line? Is there something that, that really you find to be the most interesting or the most memorable? So, I mean, I, I will say, I know we've already had a soothsayer alert, uh, but it did remind me to never ignore a soothsayer. You know, I've ignored a lot of soothsayers in my day, and I feel like every time yeah, you I do, have. That's true. These, these bad things happen as, as a result. So I, you know, I've always having to keep that front of mind. But uh, the the line I picked actually was right after the one you just quoted, Tyler, uh, between Brutus and Cassius. Um, and Brutus is kind of it, I thought this was unique, not not necessarily because it's a highlight moment, but because it's maybe not something that you would highlight otherwise. But I saw is the opening of the door uh, in for for Cassius to start sinking his claws in. Uh, Brutus says, set honor in one eye and death in the other, for, and I will look upon both different and differently, for let the gods so speed me, as I love the name of honor more than I fear death. And it's a it's a cool line, it's standalone, uh, but you also have this immediate pouncing. Cassius goes on this long rant about honor, tells this ridiculously long story about Caesar, you know, swimming in a lake with him and, and almost drowning and how, you know, that makes him weak and not honorable, whatever. Uh, clearly, Cassius has some problems, and we're going to get into all that later. Uh, but I did like that line a lot. And uh, as far as, you know, favorite moment in general, uh, I, I really I am going to go back to the soothsayer. I know that's the uh, the convenient pick, maybe, but I am up first. Uh, so I do get to grab that. And and just reminding everyone at home, all of you listening, whether you're listening in the post-apocalyptic future or wherever you may be, uh, <laughs> please, if a soothsayer comes by and tells you anything, heed their words. 
if if it's a Shakespearean soothsayer, if if this is a soothsayer <laughs> yeah, yeah, that gotta, clearly has, you gotta make sure that the they, yeah. yeah, you gotta make sure they 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 they're legit. Are you just a wacko? Check or their you... soothsayer card. They have to carry around certification. It's a whole thing. <laughs> exactly right, Alex. How Very about nice. you? That, that's a good one. I, those are both honestly. You kind of stole mine, yeah. so I'm audibling on on. But uh, that's a really Another good audible. That's that like. Spot. <laughs> I know. Audible, too. We need a new playbook Omaha, here, man. Omaha. We need to run, yeah. stick, and nod here. Sorry. Okay. Did I say that? Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, job. okay. My, uh, <laughs> my, uh, I would say maybe favorite moment. It's not really, it's not necessarily a favorite line or a favorite uh, section per se, um, but it's really an act one, scene three, where you have Casca. He's, he's relaying all these vivid details, right, of these premonitions slash dreams that he's been having. And then the fact that that really I just consider Cassius really good at this manipulation factor. And and it's fun to watch play out in the sense that he kind of is able to just just push over Casca as far as coming to terms with what he's trying to accomplish. Um, and at the same time, um, inserting his dominance, hopefully, as maybe a future figure um, per se in this in this world of Rome. So it was really, I don't want to say cool, but it was um, kind of, um, I don't know, what's the word here? Um, cunning to see uh, how Casca, you got all these C's here, right? So you got to stick with, right? Casca, Cassius, and then Cassius is cunning, right? A little alliteration action here. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really, it was cool and cunning to see how Cassius is able to, um, play off different people's emotions, maybe utilize different elements of the art of persuasion to use maybe a, a Greek philosophy reference. You got logos, pathos, ethos, all that kind of fun stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. What's fascinating about Cassius is that ability to manipulate. He reminds me in a much less overtly sinister way of the uh, the uh, Chancellor Palpatine in the original, or in, not the original, but the prequels of the Star Wars prequels, where he's just he's just finding these little threads to pull on with Anakin and with all these other characters and with all these like nations, really, yeah. where he's just pulling these little things and it's different for everyone. How do I get what I want? How do I manipulate in the direction that I want to go? Uh, and it's fascinating what he's able to do. And Cassius is just like that. I think Cassius has this ability to, he's playing a different tack between Brutus, where he's all about honor and he's all about, you know, you know, this and that uh, thing that Brutus cares about. And then he's with Casca, and it's a completely different argument. It's a completely different uh, pitch, if you will. Yep. And it's really fascinating. So that leads into my favorite section, uh, where which is just after where where uh, where uh, Trey was reading. Same same Act One, Scene Two. Cassius and Brutus are speaking. Brutus again hears this shout. So what's going on is Caesar is in like I don't know if it's an arena or just some big public forum and Antony's out there and he's like running a race or something I, I that, that part's not entirely clear to what's going on it doesn't really matter that much but what's happening is uh Antony during this time is offering Caesar the crown um and Caesar's turning it down and every time he turns it down there's this shout and applause and Brutus doesn't know what's happening. Brutus thinks that it's Caesar accepting the crown, but it's, it's actually Brutus turning it away. And, and this is important for Caesar's development and kind of how we get to where we're at and Antony's development, which is important for later. But here we are with Cassius and Brutus, and Brutus is like, oh, another general shout. I do believe these that these applauses are for some new honors that are heaped upon Caesar. And Cassius says a couple of things, but then he gets to this and he says, men at some time are masters of their fates. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves, that we are underlings. And he gets to this idea, Cassius cannot stand being dominated by a lesser man. And he sees Caesar, for fault of his falling sickness, which we understand today as epilepsy, for fault of his ambition, for fault of all these different things, he sees Caesar as a lesser man than himself. And he cannot stand being dominated by this lesser man. The fault is not in our stars, dear Brutus, but in ourselves that we are underlings. And that, I think, is this very revealing moment for Cassius 
of what's really going on for him that what what eats at him why he really cares you know brutus as he makes the decision whether or not to turn against caesar it's for very different reasons than clearly what we learn what's revealing here about cassius so that's a highlight for me um but I think we're all getting at the same sort of stuff, though, is just who this manip- this master manipulator, Cassius, the senator, is. Yeah, we all seem to, so, to circle back to to Cassius in the end. And, and I mean, he's the to star kind of, of the first how, act. Yeah, and obviously so. But at the same time, we're praising both, right, his manipulative ways, uh, maybe not necessarily praising, but admiring his manipulative ways, but at the same time, also recognizing hmm, maybe he does have some inner personal demons that are going to need some rectifying as we move forward. So let's move on to our award section. And this is a segment that we like to do uh, in the old days in sports. And uh, I think we're going to make it part of what we do here. And first, I need to explain to our Shakespeare listening community just briefly who Bobby Petrino is. Trey, could you tell us who Bobby <laughs> Petrino is and what his association with the circle is? So I'm going to be honest. I mean, I remember Bobby Petrino, obviously, the former head coach of Arkansas. I don't remember what our beef with him was. I think I like suppressed <laughs> the memory. I really think that I've just completely boxed it out. Like I did we, was he, so he was riding a motorcycle one time. I know there's something going on there. Yeah. I know he wasn't the greatest of guys, but, but I, yeah. I couldn't tell you the the depth of our of our disdain for this guy. All right, Alex, why don't you why don't you remind us just why Bobby Petrino is is the the name of the first award that we're going to give out? Yeah, and obviously coached in many different states and many different levels, right? Collegiate, pro, um, Arkansas. What was it? Western Kentucky, Atlanta moment, Falcons, yeah. Louisville. I think yeah. Louisville. Right. And all these places keep giving him this chance, but he always finds ways to screw it up, both maybe professionally, but maybe even more so personally. And it's really just an easy target for, man, what were you thinking? Or, man, yeah, you again. You, you again. again. <laughs> That's right. right. It's just a He's- broken record of. He's Bad. clearly talented in a lot of ways, but he manages to screw it up because of his personal failings. I think that's kind of, you know, and to remind you, Trey, yeah. what it was. That would was be on his he, resume, the header, that what you just said right there. That would be kind of his <laughs> clearly talented, synopsis. personally so flawed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Aren't we, we have just kind of no. dubbed him. Yeah, true. We've kind of dubbed him just the worst. He's he's we're frustrated with him, and so this is really the Bobby Petrino Award is probably a recurring award that we'll have. It's the it's the worst guy award. And Trey, you mentioned in the pre-show, it's kind of obvious who this is in Act One, uh, scenes one, two, and three. But but lay out some some candidates, some nominees, if you will, for the Bobby Petrino Worst Guy Award. Well, I think in order to do that, we have to go back into, uh, you know, scene one. And and right off the bat, you have this, you know, crowd of people um, and and there's excitement in the air, right? Like Caesar's coming back. He's going to be and and uh, Flavius and Morellus are very much uh, unhappy about this. They don't think this guy is all that and start like calling people out. They're like calling out these commoners yeah. on the street for their jobs. Like, what's what's wrong with you? Why why is that your instinctual? These are people you represent. You're a tribune. That's like imagine a politician walking the street, going, "You're a loser, and you're a loser. What do you do? Oh yeah, you're a loser. It's like it's horrible. So what do you do? Fix shoes? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And what what, what does that entail? Just go around calling people. And they really smear the salt in the wound. So for that, for me, they definitely stand out as a as a prime candidate. I mean, if Cassius wasn't in the mix, I would be pushing hard for them to be there. And even with Cassius there, at least I know Cassius has a game. They're just bitter people. You know, they're just unhappy with their lives. So you're nominating Flavius Flav and uh, yes. and Merlus. Yeah. Yep, Flavius yep. Flav, <laughs> Bobby Flav, Flavius Flav. Yes. <laughs> yes. Bobby Flay. Flay. That's a and good. I, that's I'd a echo, good. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's a good choice. Alex, do you have any other nominees other than obviously Cassius for the Bobby Petrino Worst Guy So Far Award? You know, I think there's going to be a pretty limited pool of nominees. So I think I think what Trey just alluded to or who Trey just alluded to as well as Cassius, it's going to be a short list as far as chances at winning this pre- prestigious award. Um, I'll just add a little bit more about Flavius and Merlis. F- Flavor Flavius, obviously, I should correct myself. Um, but those two, right, you obviously have them calling people out just for either their professions or their ill-timed deeds. But at the same time, their decision at the end, maybe more so Flavius than Merlis, but destruction of property, taking all this stuff down just because you're upset. Um, again, having those ideas at the forefront of your mind just because you're either in disagreement with what's going on, or maybe you just want to cause a ruckus. Um, yeah, you that's definitely me, some Bobby the Petrino points here. They get my Bobby Petrino vote. I'm, I'm out on Cassius. Yeah. I'm in on team. At least at least Cassius is is playing a game of his own. I, I support Cassius now, uh, and I'm fully against Flavius. Are we having, we're having like a Moonlight One Best Picture moment where yeah, yep, everyone is doing that Cassius was going to walk away with yeah. the Bobby Petrino Worst Guy So Far Award. And Flavius yeah, yeah. won Worst Guy So Far Award. Flavius won the Bobby Petrino Award. This is not a joke. I want to give this to my friend Flavius, as the, yeah. the La La Land guy hard said. Hard earned. My goodness. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde, they, they surprised like that, yeah. us. And it turned out it was Flavius <laughs> is the worst guy with an assist from Merlis. <laughs> I did not. And see here this we coming. were thinking scene one was just kind of a pushover scene, just, just a throwaway. No, we were no. impressed by these douchebaggeries. Yeah, Bobby Petrino a... gets, or the Bobby Petrino award comes from scene one. Mm-hmm. I almost said Bobby Petrino was in scene one. Now that Bobby Petrino was in scene one. Hands home, you idle creature. That's my best Bobby Petrino impressive. Get you home. Where is that leather apron and that rule? That's Bobby Petrino as nice. Flavius and Merlis. All right. Next award is the House of Cards Award. Now, this is not in reference, direct reference, if you will, to the... Uh, the early Netflix sensation House of Cards, uh, but actually to the early uh, card building sensation Houses of Cards. <laughs> um, We're talking literal cards here. Literal Houses of Cards. So okay. lowercase House of Cards award, Got but it. it's uppercase because it's an award. Yeah. Um, this is the award for someone who is big and impressive but surprisingly flimsy, easy to knock down. Uh, some nominees, Alex. Who would you nominate for the House of Cards Big and Impressive but Flimsy Award? Well, I would actually go with Julius Caesar. Whoa! Yeah, and obviously not because of issues that we later know as certain medical conditions nowadays. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking more about the sense of I don't want to say. Um, entitlement, um, but the same time of willing to just play along with whoever he's talking to, right? Obviously, you have hit uh, the audience, Anthony, right? Everyone trying to give him, uh, Anthony in particular, the 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 crown, right? But he 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 denies it, um, maybe because he's intimidated by the future role. That's maybe there are some lingering doubts in his mind about his ability to be a true leader. So maybe he doesn't want to embrace that position, even though everyone else is trying to prevent him from getting that position. Maybe he actually is the one who doesn't even want the position because it's going to cause all this pressure. And the pressure as a result is going to cause him to fold like a deck of cards. I mean, I honestly did consider Caesar in this category as well. And I think that, you know, Alice pointed out a lot of the reasons there. And just in general, I think you come into a play with the titular character and you're imagining they're going to come in, you know, bold and strong. And I didn't get that vibe from from Julius Caesar. And and he wasn't a central part, you know, or he was central to the, the plot. But the people who were talking around him took up most of the lines at that point um, in this first act. But 
I, I mean, he definitely is in the category. He's definitely worth a nomination. I think for me, it's it's Brutus. You know, I mean, this guy touts himself as a man of honor and literally takes him like two seconds to be like, huh, you know what? Actually, I'm just going to be a, you know, a total piece of crap and turn against this guy. It like, I, I don't know. It didn't necessarily feel to me as if uh, there was much resistance put up at all. It was almost like he was just waiting for somebody to, you know, throw that inkling out there like, hey, Brutus, maybe you would be better than, you know, or more honorable than Caesar. Yeah. And, and just like that, okay, he's sold down the river. Uh, if that doesn't describe flimsy house of cards, I don't know what does. So it's funny. These are great comments. And I'm so glad that we had this and didn't discuss it in more detail ahead of time. I thought of Casca as the obvious answer for this. I thought Casca, who's this big, strong brute of a senator and is like just like knocked over with a feather when Cassius comes is like, hey, what if we what if we <laughs> killed Caesar? Sure. Don't have to ask me. You didn't twice. even let him finish the question. I know. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> kill Caesar. I'm on it. Like, you didn't even have to be convinced. Like act act. The, scene three is like seven lines. Not really. But like. It's it's not long, and it's because Casca <laughs> doesn't take long to work on. He's just like, yeah, sure, sounds great. Um, so, but your points are really strong, in my opinion. Let's go to Julius Caesar first. Um, the whole thing where he's he's turning away the the crown three times, and he clearly expects it to come, but he's doing this thing where he's like just demanding that you beg him to be the king or to be the emperor, whatever it is that, that he's going to become. He's like, Oh no, 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 no. Oh no, 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 no. Oh no. What happened? Where'd you go? He thinks that they'll come to him that many times. And he's all ticked off that everyone cheered that he denied it. Uh, and he thought, I don't know what he expected, but this is like, I don't know. This is like when you, uh, when you like hint to your wife that you want a back massage and she offers you one like, well, only if you only if you want to give me a back massage, like it's it's so weak. And so just I think, Alex, you make a great point that maybe there is some level of self uh, uh, consciousness there um, where he can't just go out and ask for what he wants. I mean, he's this great military leader. Right. And just go out and just be the man if you want to be the man. Well, and then in terms of Brutus, I think. What's and that? just real, real quickly on the Caesar point, especially his qualifications as a husband, we're like one line into his appearance, and he's like, uh, "My wife is barren, everybody. She's barren. She's barren." It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? That's so messed up. That's not you advertise to the world. So that's another reason to put him in this category. Oh my gosh, that is so true. Calpurnia, get over here. Maybe virile, you know, sweet old Antony will touch you and you can have kids again. I don't know if you guys know, but she can't have kids. <laughs> yeah, that's weak. I don't like that. But Trey, your point about Brutus is super strong. We hold up Brutus. And, and I'll just tell you, when I learned about uh, Julius Caesar in like, I don't know, sophomore, junior year of high school, um, you learn about you, Brutus and and I think popular culture and Alex, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think the popular uh, kind of not culture, but interpretation yeah. over the years, over the generations, perception, that Brutus yeah. is, the perception is that Brutus is kind of a dude like he really is this honorable man. And he really is this guy that like it takes so much to convince him to turn against Caesar because he's so honorable. And we really build up. And this is just foreshadowing a little bit to act four or five. We really build up the way things go for him and uh, and who he is because he's such an honorable guy relative to Cassius, who's so dishonorable. But the truth is, uh, Trey, you hit it right on the head. The truth is he's like he's like standing around just like waiting begging for someone to go hey what if we uh do you think caesar's cool or what, what do you think about caesar like cassius doesn't even have to do anything he's just he's just manipulating him in the easiest way possible just like hey tell me what you think about caesar man do you like caesar is caesar cool no i don't think caesar is cool for lines after lines and monologue after monologue like he how honorable really is he so i think that that's a great point that's going to be my vote is Brutus as big and impressive, but flimsy for the house of cards. But I think all three of them, Casca, Brutus and Julius Caesar are good options. Al Alex and, and Trey, what do you guys think with the nominations in front of you? 
Who walks away with the House of Cards award? I'm sticking with my Brutus I'd probably, pick. yeah, I'm going to switch also as well to Brutus, um, both because of the sense of, like you said, Kyler, the perception nowadays is this one of honor, maybe even nobility, right? Maybe strength, both from a physical, but also maybe mental aspect. Um, but then when you really um, dive deep into the text and get down to the nitty gritty, a lot of that is not the case. Um throughout what we've seen so far and maybe we'll see here into the next acts to come. So Brutus will be my official vote. Man, this is a maverick podcast. We're like freaking John McCain and that Alaskan governor lady. Like we're mavericks, you guys. We're going out against Sarah Palin. We're coming out against Brutus. Like this is, this really, this is what sets us apart. You guys, I'm really, I'm really proud to be a part of this, this, uh, groundbreaking podcast where we rip on Brutus. Yeah. I love it. Nobody rips on Brutus, but the Bardic Circle does. So good stuff. Good stuff. All right. The last one is the Grab a Gluten-Free Burger Mm, With Award. Uh, This is a reference to would you grab a beer with this presidential candidate, but we're a family and lightly gluten-free and less lightly in certain cases, gluten-free show. Uh, Yes. who uh, would who's the guy that you think is the coolest? Who would you hang out with? I'm going to throw out a, a nominee that might be a little bit off the beaten path. Oh, Trey, Trey, Trey actually raised his hand. Uh, <laughs> well, because I think chat. you're about to steal mine, wow. and I'm worried about. Oh, it. Hit yeah, it. I bet hit I'm it. worried too. You can have it. But you can have it. go for well, it. I, I was going to pick Calpurnia. I mean, she didn't oh, do anything. No, who I was going she didn't do anything negative. She didn't do anything that made me hate her. So there's at least this possibility that she's this, you know, insightful person that can offer some kindness to the world, unlike everybody else that we've met so far. Um, maybe I might go with one of the commoners in the first uh, in the first uh, scene, but but okay, you can only have one. Okay, okay, just Cal- just Calpurnia. I'm sticking with Calpurnia. Alex, go ahead. I, I I saw you smiling. Who who do you like for your nomination for the gl- grab a gluten free burger with award? Yeah, my nominee is going to be Cicero. Um, oh, okay. Mainly because, well, and maybe it's a facade, right? Maybe they're really actually pretty darn annoyed. But Cicero seems to have this interest or at least caring heart as far as Casca's premonitions and dreams. He's asking these questions. Maybe it's because he's the only one there. Maybe it's because Casca's <laughs> approaching him. But at least bad. he's not saying, hey, you're... Get out of here. I'm oh, going to destroy yeah, tell you. Me more. He's not like making fun. Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, tell me more. So maybe he's being facetious, maybe probably being facetious. But there is some hope, just like with Trey and Calpurnia maybe being a good person. There's some hope here that maybe Cicero actually is maybe like this true caring person and not well, at least like a fake Dr. House, Bill or so something. Thank you for the potatoes, the gluten-free potatoes you give him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, my uh, my uh, my nomination is the cobbler from Act One, Scene One. Uh, listen to this. Th- this guy's getting besieged by a tribune. He's like, "Oh, where's your leather apron? Oh, what's your what are you into? What trader though?" And he's like playing around it, and he's like kind of goofing around with it. Oh, a trade, sir, that I hope I may use with a safe conscience, which is indeed, sir, a mender of bad souls. And I could just imagine him just going, "Put him." You know, uh, and then he gets another, he slips it another one. He's like, truly, sir, all that I live by is with the all. I meddle with no tradesman manage. He's just, he's goofing around and he's, he's having fun. He's, I feel like the cobbler is Shakespeare just kind of getting in, you know, kind of putting himself in the scene a little bit yeah. and kind of being, because the commoners, you know, we, we try to relate and we try to draw, you know, these things, these, these lessons and 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 you know liken these things to ourselves but every other character is nobility there's no characters in this other than commoners that we you know goofballs behind microphones can really associate with so the guy that i want to grab a gluten-free burger with is definitely the cobbler um so that's that's uh that's my uh my nomination and although i like your guys's points he is also my vote what do you what do you guys think in terms of cobbler calpurnia and uh, and Cicero, the listener. Uh, I'm I'm Team Cobbler. I, I didn't feel too strongly about Calpurnia one way or another. Uh, you know, so so I'm I'm gonna lean lean Cobbler based on the two arguments I've heard for the other two. Uh, that's my vote. What's it gonna be? 
Alex? Well, I mean, it's obviously going to be majority decision here. It's not good. <laughs> Two to three one. of us. I mean, I'm not a math teacher, but uh, I'm going to stick to my Cicero vote just to put him on the board. Yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, I, sometimes you just got to you got to grab a burger with someone, and whether they want to or not, they're going to hear your issues. It's I true. like that. I think Cobbler's going to make it right, about well, good options. Hear you, you know what I'm missing is a big Al burger. That's what I'm missing right now, right about now. But yeah, anyway, that's Fort Collins references. There Fort, we go. Shout All out right. Fort Collins if you're listening. <laughs> All right, uh, we're gonna skip goats and goats. Uh, we'll do that next step, next segment because we're going a little long today. Uh, and that's okay. This is the first episode. We had to explain what we're doing and all that stuff. Uh, but we are going to do a, a critical uh, element of that we're going to do in all the tragedies, uh, Act 1, which is a draft a character alive and a character dead. So you got to pick someone. And it, this is tough because I know, but I'll, I'll try to pretend I don't know. Alex probably knows too, but... So Trey has Trey has a little bit of a is a little bit in uh, a tough position. spot here. Yeah, he's he does not have pole position. Who is eligible um, for this category? That's the one thing I need to know. Like, can I pick the cobbler for this? Man, good question. <laughs> but we'll go back and we'll determine if this guy is probably alive or dead. <laughs> uh, and uh, and who knows? Who you don't know? Hey, you don't know. Of old There's foreshadowing. Yeah. So uh, Alex gets the first pick, then Trey, then me, and we're going to go snake draft. So then me, Trey, Alex. So pick someone, and you can sit. You can pick them as you're alive or as your dead slot. So, um, and I'll I'll mark them down, and we'll revisit this uh, throughout the uh, the episodes about Julius Caesar. Alex, who who are you going to draft, alive or dead? Well, let's start with alive. Just maybe maybe a little bit more positive thinking here. Um, cause I'm, oh, I'm always positive. Wait, am I? But anyway, um, I'm going to go staying alive, staying alive. I'm going to go with Antony. Antony, Antony is my alive. And I feel Good like one. maybe he's going to, um, maybe not just have a prominent role in the society, but maybe some level-headedness as we go forward. And maybe level-headedness okay. causes you to stay alive in those times. I mean, obviously, I I didn't experience those times firsthand, um, but but normally you weren't level, alive in ancient Rome. No, is that, that what you're no, okay. I do have a very Thanks old. Thanks for that clarification. I have an old complexion to me, as you well know. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I think I think level headedness um, is a good trait um, to stay alive. Okay, Trey, alive or dead? Who are you going to pick? So I'm playing at such a disadvantage. I'm going to go dead Caesar. Dead Caesar. We were going to outlaw Caesar. Um, that was never laid out. You know what? We... I'm going to give you that one because Alex and I have both. Me picking known. alive is going to be a total crapshoot. Yeah, no, this is going to be what's fun. We should just have Trey pick an alive and a dead. Ooh. But that's okay. Uh, all right, me. I'm going to pick someone that I legitimately cannot remember if this character is alive or dead. Um, but I'm going to pick as alive Ooh, Calpurnia. I'm going to pick Calpurnia alive. So that's me. Now I go back to back here. Alive. No, wait, I have to pick a dead. Dead. Well, okay. I know I know two characters who are definitely dead. So I'm not going to pick them just for a sporting chance. Um, Other than Caesar, obviously. We know Caesar is dead. Uh, I'm going to go with. Dead Cicero. Oh, I mean, Cicero will die. Snatched my pick right before my turn was up. Hate it. Hate You're when that pick Cicero alive. Oh well, yeah, but you still. can still pick Cicero oh, alive. Actually, oh, okay. yeah. yeah, you know what? Alive, Cicero. Bring it on, Cicero alive. So we this is going to be a huge conflict. deciding factor in the success here because yeah, if he's alive dead, Cicero's life. <laughs> yeah. One of you is going All right, to want Alex, a gluten You have a dead. Who do you want to pick as dead? Uh, I'm going to go with Brutus here as dead. Um, I think at some point all this, uh, these uh, manipulative ways of certain characters, all these conflicts going on, 
Um, this general angst amongst the society um, is going to cause Brutus, who is who is strong in more ways than one, um, to maybe find his demise in one way or another at the end. Good stuff. That's good. All right. I like it. All right. We're going to wrap up with some rapid fire, bold predictions for act two. This is stuff that's going to happen in act two, bold prediction. And this is good because I legitimately don't remember what happens in which act. So uh, this is, this is going to be a real one for me. Uh, Alex, I don't know how good you remember act two specifically, but no. So good. So these are real. And Trey is obviously is real. So, Alex, why don't you pick first your bold prediction, rapid fire. What do you think is going to happen in Act 2? Uh, I think I'm going to go with Caesar ascending to the crown ship after some initial hesitation, both on his part, just to maybe um, play to the crowd and not get the reaction he wanted. Um, but maybe, just maybe, this military man is going to... Uh, make his way to the top of Roman power. All right, Trey, what do you got, man? Okay, I'm going a little bit outlandish here, but there's going to be a scene in the palace. I'm, I'm wagering on that, and somebody, some peasant or or peon is going to die. That's it. That's all I got. That's the extent of my, my prediction. Hey, that's not the boldest prediction, but it might not <laughs> actually happen, so it's good enough. All right, I am going to go on a bold prediction that Calpurnia gets upset. Okay, Calpurnia, that's a bold thing. Okay, Calpurnia has a dream and gets upset. I, I, that's that's going to be my bold prediction. Calpurnia like a has a dream. Prediction. No gluten-free burger for her. Gluten-free burger for her, exactly. No gluten-free burger bummed. for her, yeah. Well, that's it. We're going to wrap it up. That was the first very long episode. They won't usually be this long, guys. Um, but uh, thank you for sticking with us. Hey, listen and comment. And we don't know exactly how. Subscribe. We're like and subscribe. subscribe. Yeah, like and subscribe. As the cool kids say. Yeah. We're, gonna, we're all over the place. Uh, And Alex J. Yeah. And Alex J. Yeah. Trey and Twitter. Twitterless Trey. that beautiful life. So that's it. Julius Caesar, Act 1, Scene 1, The Bardic Circle. We 